I always find this time of year nostalgic because um, harvest, harvest is a great time of year. Now we know that because, as we said this morning, it's, it's an opportunity to give thanks for what God's given us. But to me personally, harvest brings back memories of um, the end of long, hot summers. Um, I don't know if they were long and hot, but that's nostalgia for you. But I was brought up in Ramsden Heath, not far from here. A little village surrounded by fields, and most of my early childhood was spent out in those fields. Every opportunity, my brother and I would be going off into the fields, and we'd be building camps and climbing trees and, and uh, climbing through ditches and stuff like that, and it was brilliant. We loved it. It was great fun. But at harvest time, towards sort of the end of August, September time, they used to gather the grain. And so all of these, these, um, these, these wheat fields or corn fields that have been full of crops that we've been able to crawl through and pretend we were commandos finding our way through, through a, a minefield and that sort of thing we used to play. It was great fun. Suddenly, the farmer would turn up. And the farmer was a lovely guy. His name was Jeff and he had a, had a farm out in Rettendon somewhere. So, um, so he used to drive over and he'd get, get there pretty early End of the school holidays, my brother and I and a couple of other kids from the village would, um, we would go and meet him early in the morning. And we, in our minds, we would help him. Help is probably not the term he would have used. Um, we were probably just an annoying bunch of kids that wouldn't leave him alone. But I learned so much in that time. Because at first there was the disappointment of seeing the, the combine harvester go and cut down all this lovely corn. But of course it had to happen because there's no point in growing a crop only to stand back and watch it wither. And then there would be the process where the, um, the, the crop that had been cut down that was lying, in, lying on a field was sucked up, all the grain was put into a trailer and left behind was the, the waste that was then baled up into hay bales. And so the, we, used to, we used to get into the trailer when the combine was, was pouring all this grain in. It would grow up around us. We'd get to the point where we were sort of up to our eye. It was so much fun. My brother had terrible hay fever, but it didn't stop him. And we would be crawling around in there and you think the, the dust and everything, oh, health and safety, have a field day now. But we used to throw handfuls at each other and then, and then we'd suddenly look out over the top of the trailer and see that we were somewhere on the road between Ramsden and Rettendon and we were driving back to his farm and we'd watch it all being unloaded. It was brilliant. And then we'd go back to the fields with, a, with an empty trailer and, um, and they'd have pitchforks and I, I, was never, I was never allowed to use a pitchfork, which I probably wouldn't be here today if I had been. Um, but I remember, I remember as, a, as a young child, I desperately wanted to be involved. I was probably eight or nine at this point. And I remember getting hold of a hay bale and I could just about lift one up to about there and I'd be shaking under the weight. And a, a farmer who would be standing up on the top of the trailer would get a pitchfork, jab it in, which I think now, that can't have been entirely safe. But he'd jab it in and then lift it up and chuck it on. And that's what we'd do. And it was brilliant. We absolutely loved it. And then, of course, the hay bales would be taken away and they would be sold for animal feed or that sort of thing, or insulation. And um, the fields would suddenly, you'd look around and you'd think, in the space of a few days, it's, it's changed entirely. It's completely different. And then a fire engine would turn up 
and the farmer would come back and they would burn the stubble. And suddenly, what had been a beautiful, wind-kissed sea of wheat or corn or barley or whatever the crop was that year, which had just provided endless hours of fun, would be reduced to this black, muddy mess. And then we go back to school. And that was it. That's the end of summer. And you went back kind of feeling that something mystical had happened and it had been lost and it would never be the same again. Because when you're a kid, the following year seems, seems decades away, doesn't it? Twelve months go past so slowly and then it just speeds up as you get older, as I'm, as I'm finding. But it felt like we'd been privy to something really, really special. And in a way we had. Because although it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's just seeing a, a process that's been developed by mankind over thousands of years, this ability to grow crops, to harvest them, to separate the wheat from the chaff and to, to, to turn what you've grown into food to sustain, there's that word again, large numbers of people. That's a process that takes place. But it's everything that goes around it as well. There was no waste in that harvest. You see, a, a stem of, of, of the, the cereal that's being grown was probably about that high. And it was only the top few inches that actually had the grain in. The whole stem was useless. And yet it wasn't wasted. It was used. And it was, as the grain was separated and taken away, that was, that was just as precious. That was just as precious. A use had been found for it over time. The farmer grew crops knowing exactly how each part of that plant was going to be used. Once it had all been taken away and the stubble was left, it wasn't just left to rot and to ignored. The focus wasn't then on the crop and making, the, well it was on making the money, obviously, that's why I did it, but it wasn't purely on that. There was also a focus for going back and preparing that land, getting it ready. Burning the stubble, the farmer once explained to me, wasn't simply a way of killing off what was left. In fact, it was, it was the opposite to that. It was preparing the field for new life. As all that stubble was burnt, the ash was then absorbed into the soil and it carried down with it nutrients that otherwise would be lost. And so the soil was, was re-nourished, it was re-prepared and it was ready that next, next year when it was, when it was ploughed up and when, when the, 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 the crop was planted, it was ready to grow another healthy crop. You see, when we open a loaf of bread, a loaf of Hovis or a loaf of Kingsmill or whatever we have, we don't think of all that. We don't think of all the work that has gone into it. We don't think of the miracle of harvest. It's been interesting, hasn't it, in the past few months, all the discussions around Brexit. There have been questions as to whether or not this country can survive without some of the imports 
that we rely on. And that's interesting because at the end of the Second World War, when, when rationing eventually came to an end, a statement was made that this country would never again get to the point where it couldn't provide for its own people. Within a generation, it was entirely reliant on import. Harvest is an amazing time of year. But you see, we have this, we have this tendency, don't we, to take things for granted. And that's not a new thing. If we go all the way back to, in the Old Testament, right to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 11, we see the Israelites having just been taken from slavery in Egypt. We're, we've seen the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea. When Moses led his people through because of God's miracle... And then the Egyptian army are, are crushed as the water closes in and suddenly for the first time in 400 years the Israelites are free of Egypt and the, 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 the oppression of slavery that they were held under. There were generation after generation after generation of Israelites that had only ever known what it was like to live as slaves and suddenly this people are free. Wow, this is incredible. And we're told that they, they walked the wilderness and... There wasn't land to farm. It was, it was rocky, it was barren. The land wasn't producing. And so they prayed to God and God provided food, manna from heaven. We're told that this, this manna, this, this, this bread-like substance, sweet bread sort of stuff, it came down every, every morning and it was enough for them, it was sufficient. But it wasn't long before they said, we're sick of this stuff. Every day. What's for dinner? Manna. What's for breakfast? Manna. What's for lunch? Manna. We're fed up with it. Come on, a bit of variety. And the Israelites go to Moses and say, look, do something about this, will you? You're, you're our leader. You've got the ear of God. Let us go back to Egypt. We had meat there. We had cucumbers. We had peppers. We had garlic. We had spices and all Food was interesting. We're sick of this stuff. This freedom malarkey, it's all very well, but without a decent meal, it's not worth it. And there's this massive lack of gratitude. And we read that and we think, oh, that's awful. Those Egyptians, they didn't know they had it so good. How could they act like that? How could they talk to God like that after what he'd done for them? But actually that story, that account of what happened in those days is a warning to us. And it should be a warning that we remember every harvest time. In fact, more frequently than that even. Because we've never been oppressed. We've never lived in slavery, hopefully. Although there is plenty of modern slavery that probably goes on a lot closer to our own doorsteps than we realise. But God blesses us Richly. He doesn't just provide manna. He provides everything that we've got. He provided the peach tribe for dinner last night. He provided the toast or cereal or porridge or fruit that you had for breakfast this morning. He provides the roof over our heads. He provides the technology and he fixes it when we can't. You see, God is Lord of all. Everything that we have comes from God. Because God is the creator. 
It was said earlier in the service, God made something out of nothing. We cannot do that. He's given us the, 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 the ingenuity and he's given some people real flair for being able to create something, but they create something out of something else. No one can create something out of nothing. That is the miracle of creation. That is God doing what we can't do. He makes something out of nothing. Why does he do that? Because God loves each and every one of us. Harvest isn't a celebration of food. Harvest isn't a celebration of, of where we live, the privilege that we have. Harvest isn't a celebration of mankind having sustained itself for generation after generation. Harvest is a celebration of God's love. Because that's what motivates God's provision. He provides for us so that we can keep going, so that we can have a relationship with him, so that we can live lives that give us every chance of coming to know him because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he sent the ultimate provision. It wasn't manna, it wasn't shelter, it wasn't even groundnuts. It was his son, Jesus. We live in a world now that says we don't need Jesus, that says that we can look after ourselves, but we don't live in a world where we can create something out of nothing. We don't live in a world where we can truly look after ourselves. We live in a world where we've got this very fragile impression that we can, but actually when we, when we lose, when we, when we take away different imports, when, we, when, when a crop fails, when suddenly the supermarket shelves are empty or the petrol stations are, 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 are empty too, suddenly we panic. We panic because actually we know deep down that we cannot look after ourselves. We are reliant on a greater force. We are reliant on God, each and every one of us. But that's okay. That's good news. That's great news. I'm not reliant on the chief executive of a food importer or an oil company. I'm not reliant on the, the share price of, of whatever, whatever is imported that day. I'm reliant on God. Chief executives and shareholders can let you down because they're self-motivated. And as soon as things stop working out for them, they'll jump ship, they'll move, they'll change, they'll allow a company to fold or go bankrupt. They'll come up smelling their roses, but those of us who are reliant, who put all our faith in them, are let down. If we rely on God, God never fails us. God never lets us down. God produces what we need when we need it. He doesn't produce what we want when we want it. And that can be frustrating. And sometimes we can look around and say, God, come on! Look, my solution to this problem is, is, is obviously right. Why can't you see it? Sometimes when we pray to God, we, we like to think of ourselves as consultants, don't we? Lord, I appreciate this is a bit of a problem at the moment and um, if you want my advice, I think that actually I've come up with a pretty good solution. Listen to this. Let me come out with it. Amen. And think, great, I've, I've, that's that sorted. But actually, Christian, 
we come to realise we have to make ourselves vulnerable. Lord, I, I can't cope with this on my own, but with you I can. Be with me in my conversations. Be with me in my thought process. Be with me in, in every aspect of my life and help me to do the right thing, to say the right thing, to be the person that you want me to be. Father, sustain me. For God so loved the world. He so loved each and every single last one of us that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live amongst us, to teach us, and eventually to die for us on the cross. And then to rise again. So that the barrier between man and God, the the barrier of sin, the barrier caused by all the moaning that we do, Lord, this just isn't good enough. Lord, do it my way. Come on, it's the best way. All that is, 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 is taken away. All the sin, all the bad things that we do is taken away so that we can have this open relationship with our God, with our Heavenly Father. We can bring him all of our problems. We can make our, our weakness and our vulnerability known to him because he listens, because he loves us. He provides what we need when we need it. When Jesus ascended back into heaven, he went there, the Bible tells us, to prepare a room for us. I love that idea. I love the idea that while we're, we're working away on earth, and we're doing our best and we're, we're trying to live the best life that we can and make the, most of, make the most of what we've been given. Jesus is there, laying out the sheets, polishing the mirrors, making sure there's clothes in the cupboard, making sure that our room in heaven is prepared for us. He's not sitting there idle. He's getting ready for the day that we set foot in his father's house. And he's given us the invitation. He said, look, come, follow me. Follow me. Lead your lives following me. And if you do that, you've got nothing to worry about because, yes, you will die on this earth, but, but, you've got a room. All expenses paid. All inclusive in the kingdom of heaven. So wherever you are at the moment, whether you're feeling like you're, you're wandering through, to use the, the, I think it was the police, wasn't it, who talked about wandering through fields of gold, whether you, whether you feel like you're surrounded by this beautiful harvest, or whether you feel like the threshing machine is just about to take you down and, and you feel like it's all about to end, this beautiful scene of, of life, is, it's all devastated, whether you feel like the stubble is being burnt and it's quite a painful time to be going through at the moment, or whether you just feel like you're the, the black mud that's left at the end. Please just remember that every single part of that process is part of God's plan. We have to ride it out. We have to keep faith and keep remembering that God never said it would be easy, but he does say, I have a plan for each and every one of you, a plan for you to prosper and not to fail.
So keep the faith. Wherever you are in that process, one day you'll get back to the point where you suddenly see the harvest growing up around you and you think, wow, God has provided. And on another day you'll suddenly see the the black scorched soil and think, do you know what, this has to happen, the nutrients are being absorbed, the crop will grow again next year. Harvest is one of God's miracles and we overlook it year after year. But actually it's a time we should celebrate and give thanks that God loves us. God loves you. Wherever you happen to be in life, God is with you and he loves you. Let's pray.